All right, so we're just going to jump straight into this. So, uh, I love good stories, uh, and I think the best stories are the ones that uh, stick with you for a long time. Um, and so I, I remember this story that I'm going to tell this morning. Uh, it's from my childhood, um, but it is a story that, that has just constantly stuck in my mind. Um, and and those, those are the good signs, right? So uh, the story is called The Song of the King, and basically it goes like this. There were, uh, was a kingdom a long time ago, and, and in that kingdom there were these three knights. Their names were Carlisle, Alon, and Cassadon. Uh, and then there was a prince and a princess and a king. You always have to have a prince and princess, right? Uh, so um, they were not married, okay? So the princess and prince are brother and sister. Let's go with that. So the prince called the three knights in one night, one day, and, and said, hey, my, my father has decided that he wants to give his, the princess to one of you three guys. The, these were the best knights of the kingdom. Uh, there was no better uh, group of men uh, that could be chosen to be uh, the princess's husband. And they, they knew of no fairer maiden in all of the lands. All right, and so uh, there was just going to be a trial. They had to prove that they were worthy of the princess. And so uh, the prince continued said, the trial is going to be this. The first one to make it through the hemlock forest uh, is going to be allowed to marry the princess. And when they heard that, uh, the, the test, uh, all three men were kind of afraid. You know, the hemlock uh, was home to a group of creatures called the Hope Knots. Right, and the Hope Knots were these uh, little beady-eyed creatures that, that no one really knew where they came from or, or how they existed. Uh, all they knew is when people entered into this forest, uh, things, things turned for the worse, and many people did not survive. Uh, and so uh, Cassidon, or, uh, Carlisle, the strongest of the knights, uh, he first asked the question, uh, do we have to travel alone in this, in this forest? You know, no one really wanted to be there by themselves anyways. And so the prince said, no, the king has said you can choose a companion. Uh, you just have to choose wisely who you are going to take with you. Uh, Alon, the uh, quickest of the three, he wasn't necessarily the strongest, but he was fast. He was known for his speed. And he asked the question in a frightened voice, well, how, how are we going to get through this? The forest is really dark. How will we know which way to go? And at that, the prince pulled out a flute. Uh, and he started to play a, a little area. And he said, there's only two flutes like this in the entire world. My father has one and I have one. Uh, and this is the song that my father will play. And he'll play it three times a day. Uh, when the sun rises, when it's halfway through the sky, and when the sun sets. And so three times a day you'll get to hear this flute and you'll know how to get out of the forest. Uh, finally, uh, Cassidon asked, he was the wisest of the three knights, he asked, he, he was the guy that knew a traveler where he was from by the dirt on his boots and how large an army was by the birds that were flying in the sky, and he asked a, a very simple question, so there's only two flutes like that, and the prince said yes. Right, and so the prince said, consider carefully who you're going to take, consider if you even want to try to test the hemlock forest. Uh, and so the next day, the knights, after considering and choosing their companion, uh, went out to the starting point, and they all three entered in with their companions uh, into the hemlock forest. Well, uh, days and weeks pass. Uh, three times a day, the king kept to his word, and he played his little area on his flute. Uh, and three times a day, the, the kingdom would pause and listen to the king and look to the forest, waiting for people to come. 
Uh, finally, uh, a watchman saw two men come out of the forest. Uh, they had neither horse nor armor nor weapons, uh, and they were ragged and they were coming out. And the king said, go to them, uh, give them the tr- medical treatment they need, feed them, but hide their identity. All right, we're going to have a feast tonight. And so uh, the whole kingdom, they had no idea who it was that had, had come out of the forest. Uh, some thought it was uh, possibly Carlisle because he was the strongest and he was able to defeat the Hope Knots. Uh, some thought it was Elan who was quickest. Uh, but when the feast came and the king played his flute one last time, in came Cassadon the wise. Uh, and, and they wanted to know his story. How did you do it? What was it like? Uh, and Cassadon said, uh, the, the Hope Knots, they're treacherous. You know, they stole our horses and we continued on. They they battled us, but we fought them off. But the biggest thing, the thing that, that hurt us the most was that they were imitators. And this confused everybody. What do you mean they imitated? Uh, and, and he said well, every time the king would play his flute and it would enter into the forest, the sounds of his area, uh, the hope knots all around would pull out flutes of their own and they would begin to play their own music. And so there was all this music coming around us that sounded very similar. And, and I don't know if strength or if uh, speed could get you through that forest because you had no idea which way to go. And so the princess asked the simple question, well, how did you get out? And he said, I chose the right companion. And then he motioned to his companion to come in, and it was the prince who had the same flutes, and, and Cassadon said, I had him play it over and over and over again so that when the king's music finally came, I could pick it out from all the hundreds of different flutes. So that's how that story goes. Today we're going to be looking at a saying that Jesus said that sometimes it's hard for us to uh, fully believe. And what I mean by that is sometimes we don't uh, live out our lives in revelation of this truth. Uh, And We're in this series called Jesus Uncensored, and we're looking at these things uh, that sometimes we believe, but we don't live it out. And so we want to kind of change that because our lives need to match uh, what we believe, I believe, I I think. That's how it should go. Uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 14, and so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you uh, to turn to John 14. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are a few Bibles in front of you. Uh, we always encourage you to turn and read along with us. Uh, as you're doing that, I just want to kind of give us a little background into John. Uh, John is is different than the other four other three Gospels. There's four Gospels in all. Uh, the other three have a lot of stories that repeat each other over and over again. And probably what's happened is uh, they were all those three Gospels were written relatively close within a 10-year period of each other. Uh, they were written to different people groups, all right, but they were written basically to get the main story out there uh, and so that everyone would know what it was. Uh, John is written... T- 20, 30, 40 years after those three Gospels, and so he already knows what the stories are, and so he's going to give different stories, uh, and so not much of John uh, is reflected in the other three Gospels, all right, but John seems to also be the most linear, all right, he'll give uh, a, a total of four different feasts uh, that Jesus participated in, and we assume that they're all Passover feasts, uh, the reason why John is using them, and so that's where we get the three and a half year ministry of Jesus is based off of John. All right, and so we're, we're in John 14. Uh, John 14 is in the midst of three chap- or four chapters that start in John 13 and end in John 17 uh, that are the final instructions that Jesus give his disciples. 
Uh, most of it takes place uh, in the upper room on the Last Supper uh, before he is uh, crucified. Um, and and uh, the last chapter is, is in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying. All right, and, and basically what Jesus is doing in these four chapters is making sure his disciples are prepared for what's about to happen. All right, Jesus, within uh, the next 20, 12 to 24 hours, will be arrested, he'll be tried, he'll be crucified, uh, and he wants to make sure that his disciples are ready for that. When that happens, here's what you guys need to know. And so it, it's some of the most profound teachings that Jesus gives uh, throughout all of the Gospels. Uh, and, and, and so we're going to pick it up in the middle of it uh, in chapter 14, starting in verse 1, and it reads like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And we'll stop there for a moment. Uh, Jesus starts off by making sure that, that the disciples' hearts are not troubled. All right, this has been a very trying night uh, to this point. All right, uh, the, the Last Supper, uh, it's a celebration. It's during the Passover. They're celebrating all that God did. Uh, but for these disciples, it has not been the case. Uh, they entered into the, uh, the, the, the room, and there was a silent argument going on over who was the greatest of them. All right, so they're in this place where they're supposed to be celebrating all that God has done for them, and they're trying to, they're arguing with each other over who should be sitting where. Uh, and basically, Judas starts this. He sits someplace where he probably shouldn't have sat, and Peter gets all upset. And so Peter and Judas are the one that's probably fighting. All right, and so as they're in the midst of arguing over who is the greatest of them, Jesus gets up, and he does the one thing that, that no one would have expected. All right, he starts to wash their feet. All right, and, and this is uh, Jesus, the, the, their Lord and Master, the one that they've understood is the Messiah. And here he is doing this job of a, the lowest of servants. And as he goes to each one of the disciples and watches each one of their feet over and over again, he is teaching them a lesson about what it means to be great. All right, and so uh, you can kind of imagine what they're feeling, you know, at least I can. I mean, have you ever been in that place where you thought you were doing the right thing and then someone gets up and actually does the right thing that you should have been doing? You know, that feeling that you have after that, that, that sickening, that gut-wrenching feeling, uh, that's why I kind of picture it happening with the disciples here in the, in the upper room. All right, they're, they're sitting there, they're like, hey, we're doing the right thing, and then all of a sudden Jesus does what they're supposed to do. And, and they, their hearts just probably drop. And Jesus sits down afterwards and he says, just like I just did to you guys, that's what you need to be doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And so the mood, overall mood of the room I'm imagining is just one of somberness. You're like, oh, man. You know, each one of them wrestling with something inside them. And then Jesus will turn the conversation about how one of them is going to de uh, deceive all of them and turn Jesus in. And so now they've gone from this really sad feeling to like, oh no, which one of us isn't what we think we are? And you know, and this, this overall mood is just going from, from bad to worse. And then Jesus is going to tell them, you know what, something's about to happen and you're all going to leave me. And Peter's going to say, no, I won't ever leave you. And Jesus says, yes, you will. And by the end of the night, by the time the cock crows three times, you will have denied me three times, Peter. 
You know, and so this is, it's not a very good mood going on. And so Jesus will then enter into this conversation. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And their hearts probably are troubled, and he's trying to calm them down. And he refers to their belief, their faith, as the thing that should keep them from being troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And I think this is something that, that applies to us as well. All right, the disciples' lives is about to be blown up. You know, they have been spending three and a half years with Jesus, following him around the Jewish world. Uh, they've been listening to his teachings. They've been watching him uh, perform miracles. And, he, uh, and, and they're at the point where they believe he's the Messiah, and they want him to bring in his kingdom. But his kingdom isn't what they think it is. They think it's an earthly kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus understood that, but his disciples weren't there yet. And, and, and like I said, in about 12 hours, he's about to be arrested and crucified. And everything that they've worked towards for the last three and a half years is going to seem to them to disappear. And sometimes we can get to that place where everything in our lives that we've been working towards just seems to, to blow up in our face. And we're confused. And we're lonely. And we don't understand what's happening or why it's happening. And when that happens, we need to rely on God. The 141st psalmist uh, understood that when he wrote these words, But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares that they have laid for me. And what the psalmist understood is that in those moments of darkness, when it seems like all around you is only enemies and everybody's working against you, that is when you need to rely on God. It is you that I set my eyes on. It is you that I find refuge in. And that is what Jesus is encouraging his disciples here at the very opening passage of John 14. When life seems to throw you a curveball, it is God that you can rely on to keep things straight. Well, Jesus continues and he, he focuses on the ultimate hope that is there for the disciples. And the ultimate hope is heaven. And he says, I in my Father's house there are many rooms. And quite simply, there's a lot of theology that could go behind this, but very simply, we can break it down to this. God's house has many, many rooms, and there is room for all. And this is something that we must understand. Is, is, is not made for those that are just in the church right now. It's made for those who will come to know Christ as well. Whereas our houses here on earth can sometimes be crowded and at some point in time you just have to say, sorry, you can't come in. We have too many people here. And sometimes we have hotels uh, that eventually have to turn on the no vacancy sign. With God's house in heaven, there is a no vacancy sign. There is, that doesn't exist. It is always open and it is open for all people everywhere. And Jesus is saying this to the disciples. There is lots of room for you guys. And then Jesus will enter into verses 2 and 3 by giving them a couple of different things that teach us about Jesus. The first is, at the very end of chapter 2, we see that Jesus is an honest person. He says, if it were not so, I wouldn't have said it. All right? And Jesus, quite simply, uh, has been telling the disciples the truth from the very beginning. All right? When it comes to Christianity, and, and especially in this section of scriptures, these four chapters in John, Jesus is going to make it very clear to the disciples that following Jesus is not easy. But Jesus is honest. 
And his honesty shows us here that, that in his father's house there are many rooms, and they're there. It's for everyone. But we have to understand that Jesus is honest in all aspects of what he says. And he talks about the trials and tribulations. And he tells the disciples, do not be surprised when people come against you. They're not fighting you, they're fighting me. They've crucified, they'll be crucifying me, and if they've done that to me, they're going to do bad things to you. And so it's much easier not to follow Jesus in this world than it is to follow Jesus. And Jesus makes sure that we understand that. He says that throughout his ministry, you need to count the cost. You need to be aware of what you're doing because it is not easy to do what God wants you to do in this life because it's not the normalcy of the world. And Jesus is clear with that. So we see his honesty. Uh, We also see uh, that Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for us. Right, he's, he's making the disciples aware, hey, I'm leaving you guys. Right, I'm going off in front of you. Uh, one of the uh, most common ideas in the New Testament about Jesus is that Jesus is a forerunner. Right, the word in the Greek for that is pro, prodomos. Uh, prodomos, I've got to look at my word to make sure I'm saying it right. right prodomos. And it's used over and over and over in the New Testament of Jesus going before people. Uh, this word is a, a great word picture of, of, what, that, of what Jesus is. Uh, there's, it's used in two different ways. One uh, is the, the advanced scout army, uh, a scout unit of an army. All right, so these were the guys that went out before the whole army. They, they blazed the trail. They made sure that it was safe for the army to pass through. They made sure there were no enemies ahead of them. All right, and that's what they did is they went out to make sure that everything was safe. Uh, the other way that it was used was that of a pilot boat. All right, so the, the Bay of Alexandria in Egypt, where uh, a lot of the grain would leave Egypt to go into the Roman world, uh, it was a very treacherous route into the bay. And so these large ships that the grain would be loaded on, uh, they would have to use a pilot boat. And the pilot boat would go before them, and it would guide them through the rocky patches of the bay in order to get them into the ports. All right, and so that's, that's the other idea is that prodromos is the pilot boat. It's the scout army. It's someone that's going ahead, showing us how to make it through the rough patches of the world. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He is going into heaven to prepare a place. He's going before us to show us how to get there. And then we see that Jesus is coming again. I'm going to there, and I'm coming back. And this is the great victory, the ultimate victory. The thing that we look forward to is when Jesus comes back, and all of this is done. And we get to be with Jesus forever in his Father's house that has many, many rooms. And we get to be with him, which is the ultimate understanding of this final thing well jesus continues in verse four he says you know the way to the place that i'm going and in verse five thomas says to him lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way and jesus replies in verse six i am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and that's where we're going to stop. The disciples, they're not fully grasping. Jesus is talking about going before them. Jesus is talking about heaven. And he says, hey, I'm going there. You guys know how to get there. All right? and, and, and Thomas 
lot of people look at him and, and say he's, he's a doubter. Later on in, in John, Thomas will say, I don't believe that Jesus came back unless he shows me. And so we give him the name Doubting Thomas. All right, there's Thomas over there. He's doubter. So uh, Doubting Thomas. But, but Thomas, I think, is just realistic in a way. He's like, he's confused, and he wants to make sure Jesus understands that he's really confused. I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. I don't know, even know where you're going. And we're reading, we read this in light of the resurrection, but this is before the resurrection, and so there's a lot of confusion going on. You know, Jesus is talking about stuff that they're not understanding and probably don't understand until after the resurrection happens. And so Thomas is just being very honest. Where are you going? How do we get there? And Jesus replies with some very profound words that would have hit the Jewish readers hard. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for us, we don't, it doesn't hit us quite as hard, but for him, it, for them it would have. You know, talking about the way the Jews were obsessed with that understanding of what that meant. You know, the, the first psalm opens up with, Blessed is the one who does not uh, walk in the way of, of sinners or, 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 or stand, stand in the way of the wicked or, or walk. Or, yeah, anyway, so read Psalm 1-1, all right? That's the best way to do it. I'm butchering it there. All right, it says that. Psalm 119, all right, talks about how God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You know, this, this way idea is found throughout all of the prophets and all of the poetry, poets, and they're talking about how we are to live our lives. When we're talking about what is the way, we're talking about how, how do we live. You know, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy will stand before the Israelites and he'll say, hey, when I am gone, I don't want you guys to turn to the left or to the right of the way in which you're supposed to live. And then later on in Deuteronomy, he says, it doesn't matter because you guys are going to do that anyways. You're going to turn away from this way. And this idea of what the way is, is all about how we are to live our lives according to what God has said. And Jesus here, when he says, I am the way, he's not saying that. He's saying, basically, I'm not teaching about the way. I am the way. And the best way to understand this is for me to give you instructions on how to get to the high school that I went to high school at. If you were to enter into Knightstown, which, uh, how many have ever been to Knightstown, Indiana? Exactly. All right, so as you enter into Knightstown, you're, you're going to enter and come to a stoplight. All right, and, and you're going to go straight through that stoplight as you're entering into town. Uh, you'll, there, there'll be a Speedway gas station off to your right. You'll cross over some railroad tracks. And then you're going to come to a set of three different stoplights. It's a very small town. Those are the only stoplights in the entire town. All right, when you get to that third stoplight, you're going to turn left, all right, and you're going to go up there for probably about 10 or 12 blocks uh, until eventually you hit another stop sign, a stop sign, not a stoplight, all right? You're going to go straight through that stop sign. At that second stop sign, you're going to turn right. You're going to go down to a four-way, and then you'll turn left, and that's where the high school is. How many of you guys can do that? Pam. And <laughs> so two people think they can do that. Now, now that's, that's me telling you about the way. Now, if I were to come with you, and, and you guys came into town, we stopped at that gas station, I said, hey, let me show you, and I actually drove you to where the high school is, which would be easier for you? The second way, right? And, and that's what Jesus is saying, is I'm not just telling you about the way, I am the way. And if we want to live according to the way that God wants us to live, all we have to do is look at how Jesus lived this world. 
That is what we're expected to do. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the way, that's what he is saying. I am showing you it. I am it. Not just telling you about how to do it. I am it. Jesus says, I am the truth. One of the psalmists says, teach me your ways, O Lord, so that I may walk in your truth. And when we're talking about truth here, we're talking about the moral truth, uh, something that, that is very profound. You know, we can teach tru- truths, okay? We can teach about geometry, we can teach about algebra, and we don't have to, it doesn't matter how we live, all right? But when we get to moral truths, it matters about how we live. You know, if someone was teaching you about being generous with money and they were very greedy, would you listen to them? Probably not. If someone was teaching you about love but was bitter all the time, would you listen to them? I mean, if someone was teaching you about purity and they were an adulterer, would you listen to them? I mean, that's, that's how it works in life. And, and, and when we talk about moral truths, as humans, we can fail in this because we don't live up to God's standard. You know, I, I can teach to you about, all day about all these different things, but there's parts of my life where I miss the mark. And so some of you, if you know me, you're like, you don't do that. And there's good reason for you to do that. I mean, we're talking about moral truths. And when we get to Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am the truth. And Jesus embodies this moral truth that we must live up to. He is the way, and he embodies truth. And so we should listen to what Jesus has to say. And then Jesus talks about being the life. Not only is he the way and the truth, but he is the life. And ultimately, all we are doing in life is trying to figure out how to live a better life how to have uh, a more enriching life. When we go and learn about things, we're doing it to, to, uh, to have a better understanding of how to live. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is, I am that life. Everything that we're looking for, we're looking for Jesus. <coughs> he is the one that everything revolves around. And then Jesus says something very, very profound that sometimes I think we miss. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I think we believe this. I mean, I I really honestly believe that no one can come to God except through Jesus, whether in the past or in the future. But do our lives reflect this understanding? And what I mean by that is this. Do we take every opportunity to tell people about Jesus? Because if there's no other way to God except through Jesus, and if people don't know who Jesus is, they're not going to be with God. They don't get to enter into his mansion that has many, many rooms. They don't get to be there. And so if we aren't going out and telling people about Jesus, then we're not truly living to this, this truth. That no one comes to the Father except through him. It doesn't matter if, if they're Muslims. They don't get to go into heaven without Jesus. And so should we go out and just kill them? No. We need to tell them about Jesus. Because they need Jesus just as much as we do. It doesn't matter if they're Hindus and they think they're going to be reincarnated and all that other great stuff. They don't get to go to heaven unless they know who Jesus is. And so we have to be people that understand that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And we have to live our lives with the understanding that there is no way for them to get to heaven 
unless they know who Jesus is, unless they go through Jesus. And, and if we can pick out the best companion like Cassidon did, if we can do that, we need to share that companion with everyone. Because the only way through the forest and the only way to get to where God is is because of Jesus. And we have to share that. Do we live that out in our lives? No, sometimes we don't. You know, I, I fail in this. There are times where I fail to talk about Jesus. And it's something that I have to fix. And I think that if I'm failing it, not, not saying I'm better than any of you guys, but I think that all, we all fail at this at some point in time in our lives. There are friends that we know who don't know Jesus, and we see them on a regular basis, and we, we never tell them. There are family members that we meet that we just don't tell them about Jesus. And that's on us. We need to be living with this <coughs> understanding of who Jesus is in our daily lives. That is my challenge to you. Recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And let us t- bring as many people to the room to the room that is prepared for them, that is ready for them. There's many. It's open for all. Let us not close it off to anyone. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are amazed at the greatness of who you are. We're amazed at the uh, rooms that are there, that are prepared for us, that someday you're coming back to take your bride to be with you. And while we know that not all will accept the message of who you are, and while not all will gladly enter into your kingdom, Lord, I just pray that we are not the cause of people not coming to you. I pray that we can be out there sharing the gospel to those who are in need. Allow us to have the strength and courage to do so. Show us, Lord, how we can teach others about who you are, the forerunner the way, life. We ask these things in your name. Amen.